Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today let's talk education leadership, its role in education reform, its need, how one becomes an education leader, and where ed leaders are needed most. Our guest today is Professor of Educational Leadership at the Harvard Graduate School of Education and the Director of the Doctor of Education Leadership Program, pretty much the perfect guest for this topic. Welcome to the EdCast, Richard Elmore. Nice to be here. Professor Elmore, let's start about the need for education leadership and just where are you seeing the gaps and room for improvement? We're in a period of dramatic transformation in the sector. I think um, the the traditional model for preparing leaders has been to uh, run training and certification programs that track fairly closely with a very well-established and pretty rigid set of qualifications, both for the principalship and for the superintendency in a sector which is now transforming. It's transforming in the sense of uh, learning is migrating out into the world. It's not going to be confined to schools. It's transforming in the sense that urban districts, which are going to uh, enroll the majority of students, are changing organizational forms. The uh, traditional hierarchical structure is, uh, is shifting, and it's changing in the sense of uh, the demographic challenges. So the way we characterize this uh, at Harvard, both in the school leadership program and in the EDLD program, our uh, doctoral leadership program, is to say that we're training a new generation of leaders in the sector around transformational views of leadership, not just leadership that is designed to sustain and develop the existing culture and structure. Sort of looking at all the different changes in the landscape of leadership and kind of going back a few years now, can you talk about the origins of a team getting together here at Harvard to create one of the first degrees in many, many years called the Doctor of Educational Leadership? It's actually quite an interesting case study in how innovations occur, at least in this university. I think there are probably s significant um, differences across universities, but the way I like to say this is that the really big and bold ideas that, that actually transform or change the way we do the work uh, occur first at the margins. So in our case, the, the fundamental patterns of collaboration between the Ed School, the Kennedy School, and the Business School around the content of the program occurred first in our executive education programs and in our non-credit, non-degree uh, uh, professional uh, uh, development programs. We, <coughs> uh, we had a different set of ground rules from the traditional uh, degree programs, which is we insisted that the faculty work together to develop a common curriculum people said about some of these early programs that when we taught they couldn't tell whether the faculty who were teaching were affiliated with the Ed School, the Business School, or, or the Kennedy School because we had a common point of view and a common framework. We also insisted that the pedagogy be similar enough so that we could present a fairly coherent view of the world and we insisted that the, that the materials, the curriculum, the case studies, 
be actually grounded in uh, the districts we were working with or districts that were like the ones we were working with, which stretched, I think, all of us. I know that the business school people were not used to having as close a relation, client relationship with uh, districts involved. So we actually spent, uh, in the case of the public education leadership uh, project with uh, the business school, we actually spent an entire year working with a group of uh, urban school districts writing case studies and having them surface the kinds of problems that they're headed into. It took us about five or six years to develop these uh, programs and then to begin to transfer the knowledge, the teaching, the curriculum design, and the faculty participation into a degree-granting program. And I think most people uh, would, would say that we've done a fairly successful job of doing that. It looks very, very different from a traditional academic degree program. I think what's interesting about it is that looking at the structure of the program, it looks almost like an MD or a law degree in the fact that it has uh, intensive coursework and then there's a residency requirement. How important is it that it's both the research and the practice and the policy all kind of combined to make this degree? So we try to represent our vision of what leadership in the future will look like in the actual design of the program. So there's a year of cohort experience where people take the same content in streams over time. We try not to call them courses because they're organized differently from courses. Then we have a year in which students fan out across the university and, and to allied institutions in the, in the greater Boston area to take elective courses uh, in areas where they want to specialize and then we have a core seminar that goes across that second year and then in the third year we have something called a residency we have an, a, a network of partner organizations and we place people in those partner organizations they're given responsibility for an actual project in those organizations that adds value to the mission and strategy of those organizations and they produce a project for the organization that also meets our requirements. And the important thing about this degree is that when you present that product, you will graduate. And in that sense, it's much more of a professional program, much more like a law school degree or a medical school degree, which is when you complete the academic requirements, you've actually finished the program, you graduate, you get the degree. Many of our, uh, our uh, practitioner programs are actually research degrees where it takes people sometimes five or six years to finish. Uh, that by that time, they've already started their careers, they're already you know, established, and we just felt like that's not a model that's sustainable in the future, and we wanted to try to demonstrate something else. You also have a book out called I Used to Think and Now I Think. It's 20 leading educators reflecting on the work of school reform. I suppose in these reflections, where are we seeing examples of school reform thriving through excellence and leadership? Well, mostly what, uh, what the book was designed to provoke was uh, rather than a kind of advocacy approach to reform, which is we know the answer if people were just smart enough, they would do it. What we wanted to, to portray was a kind of a reflective approach, which is 
I entered this period of reform thinking that I would succeed by doing X. In the process of doing the work, I discovered Y, and Y became an important focus of my interest and attention. So just to give one example, I think what's happened for a lot of people in this field is they entered thinking that if you just organize things well, if you put people in groups and teams, if you just made the instructions clear, and if you just got the measurement and the metrics right, then great things would happen. I think many people, including most of the people in the book, discovered that there's a huge human investment problem underneath reform and improvement in the education sector. That is investing in people, investing in new knowledge and skill on the part of people. That in and of itself turns out to be a major and very demanding uh, task for leadership. And I think it's, uh, it's to the credit of the people who wrote in the book that they acknowledged that their initial ideas about reform and how it would work were actually quite naive and that the discoveries have actually deepened and broadened their practice. Now, in addition to, say, applying to, like, the EDLD program or buying your book, what, what is something that any practitioner right now, a principal, a teacher, anyone who's working, that can do as a sort of call to action to improve their leadership? Uh, invest in people. That's, that's the major weakness of education reform in the U.S. It's the major strength of successful reform efforts abroad. We have over-invested in uh, testing, assessment, and accountability pressure, and we've under-invested in investing in the human knowledge and skill of people in the sector. So in, in, at the school level, you need to acknowledge that the people you have are the people who are going to have to do the work. To the degree that you uh, can influence the quality of work that goes on in school, you're going to have to influence it through those people. And if uh, you know, teachers don't deliberately withhold their best ideas in instructional practice, so if you're not getting the results that you want, uh, there's a knowledge and skill problem. We need to figure out how to organize schools and school systems to address that problem. That, I think, is, uh, is at the core of, of uh, the leadership challenge, which is how to develop a kind of leadership that is, that, that is knowledge intensive, that focuses on practice, that focuses on bringing powerful knowledge and skill into the classroom. Looking down five, ten years as, a, as the director of the EDLD program, what is your hope in terms of the, the impact that such a program will have on the education reform community down the road? Well, we have, uh, I think, a fairly different model. Some people have called it radical uh, model of what leadership in the sector is going to look like. Uh, our fundamental premise is that uh, transformation of the education sector is going to require a cohort of people with common knowledge, skills, dispositions to act, and powerful ideas, not just in the traditional school sector, but in all of the interdependent organizations that make the education sector work. In, in the mainstream public education sector, in the charter and uh, uh, alternative school sector in the support organizations that provide professional development, in the uh, assessment and accountability organizations that provide the tools for data analysis, in the State Departments of Education and in the philanthropies. Uh, 
even in venture capital uh, firms. We have in our second cohort uh, a person who, um, who spent a number of years in uh, a venture capital firm in California specializing in investing in new education ventures. The idea is to occupy the sector, that is, not just the institutions that deliver education directly, but to spread out and create social networks of people who have a common point of view about education transformation and reform, who are going to populate these various organizations that all have to work together in order to make uh, reform in the sector. For more information on Professor Elmore's work or the EDLD program, you can go to gse.harvard.edu. If you're interested in his book, it's called I Used to Think and Now I Think. It's available at the Harvard Education Press website. Dr. Elmore, thank you so much for appearing on the show. Thank you. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.